Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's not about me I'm only here for a minute And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Kirby Doc, yeah, we don't have a timeline for them uh, or a date set, but it's uh, we keep giving them more and more and, and uh, that's encouraging. I mean, there's no reason to think there'll be any setbacks. We just keep pushing them and... and We'll see. Hello, welcome to another Lads and Powers. This is Scott Powers, joined by Mark Lazarus. It's a fine Monday uh, Monday afternoon. Mark, hello. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. This this weather it just it's, it makes such a difference in life, you know. Oh, it's glorious! It's amazing. You know, uh, you know, I got I got my vaccine on Saturday. I got the Johnson and Johnson yeah, vaccine, congrats. so the one shot. Thank you. Very exciting. My wife's getting her first shot, the Moderna today. My parents are visiting, my fully vaccinated parents are visiting for the first time since 100 years ago, whenever this pandemic started. We're outside, we went to the driving range today, like, there's almost a semblance of normalcy returning to life. Like, you could start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And then, of course, you flip on the news and there's 9 billion people crammed into a bar in South Beach and you just want to yell at the yell at the sky. But we're, we're getting there, we're making progress. Some parts are getting there. Some parts, some parts are, are not getting anywhere and never will at this rate. Yeah. Um, the Blackhawks are getting there with, with Kirby Doc. Um, this is, you know, the fact that he's been on the ice for nearly two weeks, he's, he's, he's taking contact. Uh, he's certainly getting closer. I think the Blackhawks are reluctant to say, you know, put a definitive timeline on this, but, um, you know, regardless of what this means for the Blackhawks this season, and, and he'll see, he certainly can help them, but just to get him on the ice at all in these last 20 plus games and, you know, just further along his development, he's such a key piece to, if the Blackhawks are going to have any hope, you know, to, to really turn this around in the coming years. But um, it, it seems like all prim- promising signs. You know, I was at practice today. He's certainly a lot more involved. He's taking contact. 
um, you know, he, he, you can obviously see what he can bring this team again, you know. Um, I think they're going to make sure that he's more than ready, but this is, uh, yeah, it's all promising signs for the Blackhawks to get Doc back sooner than later. I don't even understand the physics of it. I mean, he broke his wrist three months ago. Three months ago. I, I, I could barely walk today after rolling my ankle doing one of those air rockets that my kids have yesterday. And he's, he's like full-blown playing. He's out there, you know, taking contact and playing in front of the net and shooting the puck with a wrist that was broken three months ago. I mean, that's, I guess, hey, to be young is, uh, and, and have those superhuman healing powers, but that is such an incredible sign. I mean, we when he got hurt, we all assumed out for the year, maybe he's back at the end of April, you know, early May, gets in a handful of games just before the season ends. I mean, we're looking at he's going to be playing within a week or two tops, probably even less. He's out there taking the kind of contact he's taken. He's just about ready to play. He's going to be on the ice soon. Uh, and that's incredible. And yeah, and, and both the big picture and the small picture, the Hawks need him. They are in a free fall right now, playing that March schedule we knew they were playing. And all of a sudden, you put Kirby Doc on that top line, and he is your number one center with Jonathan Taves out. You put him between Debrinket and Kane, and then a whole lineup looks better because Suter and Kurashev get put into more appropriate roles for them. And all of a sudden, the lineup's deeper, the top nine's more fleshed out, and, uh, and, and, and all bets are off. I mean, it's really an incredible development that Kirby Doc is going to play this year, and he's going to play soon. What do you think? I mean, adding Doc is is sort of like a trade trade deadline acquisition. What what would you do at this point? I like you have some pieces that are you know uh, on one year deals. You have you know have some you know a guy like Yamark especially. I'm sure that has some value. Um, there, there's also probably some value in the Blackhawks making the playoffs and playing in these some these big games. And Yamark's been a big part of that. You know, we asked Yamark about it today, and he said you know he's kind of used to this, and he you know he knows the deadlines here, and you know he's just he wants to prepare himself for a better future. You know, and, and that's part of the reason why he signed a one year deal. But but if you're Stan Bowman, how how aggressive do you think you're trying to move Yamark or Soderberg or or, or anyone that's it's on an expiring deal? Well, I, I'm, 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 I'm kind of the more I think about it, the less inclined I am to just sell everybody off because I don't think they're going to get anything for any of these guys. If you can get a second round pick for Yanmark, all right, you make that move. But Soderbergh's not going to let net you anything more than a, a what a fourth rounder. Uh, you know, Lucas Walmark, he's not even in the lineup most nights. What are you going to get for him? Uh, I, I would yeah. at this point, if you, you sell off Walmark for whatever you can, but if you're not going to get much for Soderbergh. Frankly, I'd rather have him for the rest of this year filling a role, playing relatively well on the power play, than get a mid-round pick for him sometime in the future. Yanmark, Yanmark, it's tough to call because, you know, he's a productive player, and if you're going to make the playoffs, you don't want to be trading one of your, frankly, top goal scorers. But if you can actually get something for him, sure. But I'm not going to move Yanmark just for anything. If, if the market out there is a third or a fourth round pick just because there's just not that much interest, then I'm hanging on to him. I mean, making the playoffs now is important enough to forego a third, fourth, fifth round pick in the future. That's where I'm at with this team. Maybe not a first or a second. I, you can get a first round for anybody. you got to think about that. You can get a second round pick for Yanmark. You do that. But anything beyond that, I'd rather have the player. Yeah, I, I think the fact that Doc is coming back changes that equation too. Like if it's this team without Doc, like I may be less inclined, you know, for the playoffs because not that the Blackhawks will probably beat Tampa or Carolina or whoever they play, but I don't know. I, I, there's more value in Doc getting those games and seeing more of what that future looks like, you know, even if the Brinkett and Doc are came together. Like, I, I just, the more games you have, the team that you're going to look at next year on the ice, I think is, is important. Um, I, I don't, I look at last year too. I mean, they traded Gustafson for a third rounder, which was, 
you know, probably it's not as much value as they wanted to get. So if they can get a second mar, you know, second round pick for Yanmark or that, or um, you know, I, I imagine they'd be start discussing contracts sooner than later. I'm sure that's you know, if Yanmark wants to stay or the Blackhawks want him to stay, I imagine that's something that picks up here. Um, it, it was interesting when we did that roster projection story and, and made it made me think about where you know who's coming back, who's projected in the lineup. Um, and there are a lot of variables like, you know, like Taves, um, but it gets more crowded when Nylander comes back and, 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 you know, like guys like Soderberg certainly won't be signed, but even finding a spot for like a Yanmark and, you know, I think Reichel pushes for a spot next year possibly. And there's some questions I think the Blackhawks need to, uh, yeah, answer what, you know, within themselves to, to see what they plan for the future. Like where, where, where is this going and who do you foresee taking spots? And, you know, even someone like Nylander, like it's, if you want to give him another shot, then it, it makes sense. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you, you're also taking some risk and, and, you know, projecting him to take one of those top nine spots. Well, that's the thing with Nylander is like right now he's basically playing a top six role for the Blackhawks. He's not a top six forward. He just isn't. So if you can convince him to come back at a reasonable contract and all of a sudden, because Reichel's in there or Nylander's in there, whoever takes that spot, he's on your third line or even your fourth line. He He's a much more valuable player in, in my mind in that role. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Yanmark. Sorry. Did I say Yanmark? Oh, you, you said Nylander. Sorry. Yeah, no. no, well, I'm saying if Nylander or Reichel bump him down, that's a positive because you don't want yeah, yeah, Matthias okay, yeah. Yanmark in your top six. Matthias Yanmark in your top six is a bad lineup. No offense to Matthias Yanmark. He's not a top six forward in this league, <laughs> but he'd be a really good third line winger. That third line that the Blackhawks haven't had since the glory years where they had productive players. That's why, you know, I keep coming back to Dylan Strom. If Dylan Strom's your third line center, that's good. That's a good thing. If you have Yanmark and Dylan Strom in your third line with a guy like a Nylander or a Reichel or a, um, a Hagel, then all of a sudden you've got a, a pretty potent third line. Uh, and when you flesh out that top six, when Doc's back and hopefully Taves is back, all of a sudden you've got yourself a pretty solid lineup. We know the Blackhawks have a good fourth line with Camp and Carpenter and whoever ma- matches up with them. All of a sudden you start filling out the pieces of this lineup. You don't want to have 12 guys who can play. You want to have 15 or 16 guys that can play. So if you can get Yanmark at the right price, again, he might want to get paid like a top six winger because he's playing a top six role. He's not a top six winger. And so if he wants that kind of money, well, thanks for the memories, Matias. You did a good job, but that's just not what the Blackhawks can afford. But if he's willing to take a couple of year, two or three year contract at a third line price, then that's something you jump at at the Blackhawks. You want that competition. And Yanmark's a guy who's proven he can play, he can hang uh, and be successful. So uh, he, you, you want those good problems, as they say. So I want to see him back, but not paid a top six player and not in a top six role. And part of this too is that uh, Zadorov's owed three point two million on a qualifying offer, and and he yeah. probably wants more in the next contract. But I, I, I think we talked about it last time, and I, I don't think Zadorov's worth three point two million. Like that's there's going to be some hurdles there financially for the Blackhawks to figure out because if Zadorov, I, I don't, I still don't think he's more than a third pairing defenseman. It just. Um, yeah, to pay him that much money and then start worrying about other contracts. And I, I think, you know, it, it'll be interesting because, you know, if you don't qualify him, then he becomes a, a UFA and he can go anywhere and you can you can negotiate him with. But even with Yanmark, like, I'm sure Yanmark wants to test the market and see what's out there. But uh, there, there's a harsh reality for a lot of players coming up because the cap's going to be flat for so long. And a lot of these teams are going to have to you know prioritize probably the young players and and their stars, and, and those contracts are going to come down. But when, when guys are due their second contracts off their ELCs, like those are going to become the priorities. And I, I think that next tier of players going to really have, um, you know, have to, have to swallow some probably some money that they probably weren't projecting a couple of years ago. 
Well, I think Zadorov is such an X factor in this entire big picture here. And uh, I know we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. We had a voicemail from Dan from Milwaukee asking about Zadorov because he's not a fan. And uh, that's the big question because, <laughs> you know, right now we're all just assuming the Blackhawks are going to A, protect Zadorov, and B, re-sign him. If you decide that he's not worth that money and he's not a big enough piece of the future to warrant it, all of a sudden you can protect Calvin Dahan, who's a better player. Frank, flat out, a better defenseman right now than Nikita Zadorov. Older, but a better player. And then all of a sudden you have a little more cost certainty going forward. You don't have to worry about paying that qualifying offer and then the ensuing raise that Zadorov is probably going to get because that's just the way things work, even in a flat cap world. Uh, the Blackhawks really need to decide if they're in the Nikita Zadorov business. And a Stan Bowman's not a guy who likes to cut bait so quickly on a, on a big trade. He traded a two-time Stanley Cup champion, very good top six forward in Brandon Saad for Nikita Zadorov. And if he just lets him walk this year, that doesn't look great. Although, you know, Saad was probably going to walk this year anyway, so you look at it as a wash. But the Blackhawks have to decide whether they're willing to just cut bait on Nikita Zadorov. I don't think they are. I think they do. Th they, they still see that ceiling that, that some scouts see. They see the size. They see the power. Uh, they see some pretty good defensive abilities, and they're willing to, you know, say, "Well, we could teach him to play with the puck." I don't know if he can. He is what he is at this point. He, he he's a perfectly fine player. Yeah. But with the with the restrictions the Blackhawks have and all the young defensemen they have coming up, he's kind of in the way. He's in the way financially, and he's in the way in the lineup. And it might be easier to just let him go because I think I'd rather have Calvin DeHaan than Nikita Zadorov at this point. I also don't think even if they expose DeHaan, I don't think he's getting taken. Like I, everything I hear is. I think unless it's like a really like a Hagel or someone that you can build, you know, like you see as being like a role player definitively. Like I think where Seattle's what Seattle's looking at is even with like a Blackhawks team is like, we'll just draft someone and probably walk away from them or, or someone that's for our minor league team. You know, maybe there's a role player there because I think what they're going to have their biggest asset is this cap space. You know, they go into it with, with $81.5 million and with so many teams going to be up against it, like you can really get some really nice players um, at, at some cheap deals and, you know, at Dahan, uh, who, who, you know, I, I think he's, you know, a fine, probably second pairing defenseman, but at his price, like you can probably get, um, you know, probably a next level player up there even. So I, I think I, I see Seattle maybe taking whomever and, you know, like it could, it might even just be an expiring contract and letting them walk because th what they really have going for them is all that cap space. So I, I, you know, if, if they expose like a Hagel or a Camp or someone that you can project as, you know, this guy's a cheap bottom six player. Like I, I see that more likely than, than them taking on four or five million dollars. Like there's just not, I don't know if there's a ton of upside there. So I, um, I, I, I don't think the Blackhawks are in a bad spot. You know, I, I think especially having Seabrook's contract out of the way, like that, that opens up some possibilities and they pr protect who they need to protect and. The rest, uh, you know, like the rest, are probably won't be concerns. I guess, I guess the one concern would be, is, you know, if if Dahan does come back and Murphy and and they do resign Zadorov, like it's, I feel like you're you're in the same boat again. Like where do you, where are the opening spots? Like at some point, like you're playing all these young kids, and it, it's fine to move them in and out of lineup and up and down for Rockford, but at, at some point you want to be like these are the guys we're going with, and um, you want to push them forward. So like I. Yeah, at some point you want to create some spots. And part of it's they just, I mean, some of the defensemen are just on the smaller side. And I'm not sure how comfortable they are having Bodan and Mitchell and, uh, you know, Kalanick and all these guys on the on the ice at the same time. Yeah, I mean, there's it's, it's going to be interesting. The, the expansion draft is fascinating because Vegas has really raised the bar, obviously. Like in the old days, when you were doing an expansion draft, you just wanted young guys. You wanted cheap young guys and a couple of veterans just to kind of teach them how to play. 
but Vegas made it so that you want to compete right away. You want to maximize the, the the advantages you have as an expansion team. So you know what 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 Seattle, how Seattle and uh, approaches that is going to be fascinating to watch. Um, all right, we talked about all the quote unquote positive stuff happening with the Blackhawks right now. I, I guess it's time to address the elephant in the room, which is they're losing a lot, like a whole lot. They're not even in the playoff spot. When we last spoke, we were talking about how comfortable the playoff spot they're in. They're not even in a playoff spot right now. Columbus jumped ahead of them the other night. And, uh, you know, they still got a couple of games against Florida. Like, they're not through this death march yet before they start, you know, getting to feast on the Nashvilles and Detroits of the world. Um, how, how, how dire do you see things? I mean, this is what we expected to happen to a large degree. So it's unfair to panic about it. But, you know, how dire do you think things are for the Blackhawks right now? So is it decided by regulation wins now inside of the ROWs? Is that, did that change Um, That's a good question. I'm not even sure. I mean, obviously, we're, we're, we're still assuming they're even going to play, every team will play 56 games. It might just come down to points percentage, which is uh, which will save you the problem because they're not going to be tied in points yeah, percentage. Yeah. But yeah, I, just, I, I saw that when I was on NHL.com the other day, they, when I was on NHL.com the other day, they had regulation wins and then they had the regulation they do, yeah. overtime wins. It, sh- it should be because it's overtime wins are, you know, I love three on three, but it's just as gimmicky <laughs> as the shootout is. It shouldn't count. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, yeah, I, none of this is unexpected, right? Like, I mean, it's just, it's, you knew the stretch was going to be hard. You, they probably didn't win as much as they even hoped on the stretch. I knew it was probably going to be something like this. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I just, it's, uh, there's definitively three t- teams that are better than everyone else. And, and then that fourth spot's still up for grabs. Like it, on any given night, I think Dallas or, you know, Chicago, Columbus and even Detroit and you know like Nashville like yeah I, I don't know there's not there's not a whole lot of difference um you know like the Blackhawks actually played well those last two Tampa games like they're yeah uh, Tampa's just they're on another planet yeah it's, I mean they, they there were certainly spurts throughout that trip where they played well and it's they, they just can't put it together and then all of a sudden your goaltending isn't giving you you know 940 say a percentage and that makes a difference and um uh, special teams is kind of hit or miss sometimes and yeah i don't know it just it's it, it feels like what they are and it's um you you, you knew with a young team that this was likely going to regress and, and especially with the schedule and um yeah i don't know what they can do i mean obviously getting doc back and you know if you can get lincoln some rest and i'm, I'm sort of surprised they haven't gone back to Dealey just to give him a look and and not that he's the answer going forward but like i still think you're exploring what the future is so um, yeah, I think I, I feel like the the Blackhawks weren't as good as they were as they looked in you know January and February. And I don't think they're as bad as they look in March. I mean, 
you know, just like Kevin Lankin wasn't a 937 goalie like he was in January, he's not an 886 goalie like he's been in March. I mean, the regression to the mean has been hard and fast, but, I mean, look at who they, look at, look at who Lankin has gone up against this month. In this month, in March, Tampa, Tampa, Dallas, Florida, Florida, Tampa. That's insane. I mean, those, that's, that's, that's a brutal schedule. He beat, he beat Dallas. He played really well against Dallas. So his losses have come against arguably the two best teams in the league right now, Tampa and Florida. You throw Carolina in that mix, too. I mean, so the Hawks are not as bad as they look right now. If they had a series against Nashville and a series against Columbus and a series against Detroit mixed in with the Tampa, Tampa, Dallas, Dallas, Florida, 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 all that, they would, you know, if, if this schedule was presented differently and they had the same record, we'd be looking at it as a positive. They're better than we thought they'd be, and that's where they are right now. They're still very much in the hunt for a playoff spot. They are tied in points with Columbus for a playoff spot right now in late March. None of us thought that. It's just the manner in which it's yeah. happened makes it look and feel a lot worse than I think it actually is. They are not anywhere near Tampa, Florida, and Carolina's level. But they are a better team than Detroit. They are a better team than Nashville. And I do think they're a better team than Columbus. I think they're right about the level of Dallas. Dallas is, you know, kind of, they're so all over the map. But as, as a whole, you know, if you had a seven-game series, I think the Hawks could hang with Dallas. I think they could beat Detroit, Columbus, and Nashville. And that's, that's not bad. I mean, they're a middle of the... They, well, we've talked about our, our slogan all year. It's not nothing. The Blackhawks, it's not nothing. They're okay. They're pretty good. They're better than we thought they'd be. This March is just... It's like cramming all the losses into one month. And we'll see how they handle it. But I'm curious to see... That, that, that they've lost a bunch of games in March doesn't surprise me. If they can bounce back in April when the schedule eases up a little bit, if they're mentally tough enough, all these kids, to get back in the groove, then... I'll be pretty impressed, and we'll start talking about the playoffs and what this means going forward. Yeah, I, I guess that's where I'm reluctant. Is just the the playoffs. Just it it doesn't seem that important to what this team, you know, like what the goal was this season, and the fact that you have so many young guys so far ahead of the curve, and um, the fact that they're kind of hitting this down, you know, this down point is important to their development too. Like we saw. We saw the you know the Blackhawks young players kind of do that last year, and then how Doc came out at the other end. And not that everyone development curve is like that, but if if you know Kurashev's hit kind of a tough stretch, and you know it, um, you know the goalies too, and and a lot of these guys are playing more games in a condensed amount of time than they're used to, and um, you know they've had more practices, and, and Colleton's kind of backed off the practices a little bit, and now they're uh, and now they're losing, and, and that makes it harder for you know teaching and development too. So like I, it all feels like necessary steps for the Blackhawks to eventually get to where they are. And, um, you know, if, if these guys can bounce back and, and, you know, whether or not they make the playoff run there, these games are going to be important. So I, I think all those experiences do add up. And uh, I continue to look at, you know, look at what's going, you know, what this is down the road. And, um, you know, the fact that all these guys are playing in meaningful games come, you know, March and, and then likely April here is just, yeah, it's, it's important what the Blackhawks are trying to build. And, um, you know, I, I I don't want to feel like we're that we're just that this is the message, you know. Like, but I feel like this is this season. A year from now, I don't think that they can rely on that that point of conversation. But right now, it, it's it, this this was a year designed for the future, and I, I think they've taken advantage of it. And we'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see how this rest plays out. I mean, Florida's really tough, and then you have a lot of teams uh, that are a little bit more, you know, veteran laden, and you know, teams that are prepared for you know for this kind of run. So we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. But I I think that all the positives regardless of how the season, you know, ends up, it's, it's still pretty good for the Hawks. You know, I took my kids to the driving range today just to hit some golf balls, and my, my daughter, who just turned nine, she's got a lot of natural athleticism, um, and she was hitting the ball pretty well, but she doesn't really like sports because she's she's either not competitive at all or too competitive. She can't stomach the idea of losing. 
So rather than put herself at risk of losing, she'd rather not play at all. And that's like, and I was talking to my parents about that because that's a huge part of being a kid is playing sports because that's where you learn to lose, right? You learn to handle losing. And to a degree, that's kind of what the Blackhawks are doing this month. We're, we're seeing all these young guys, if they can handle losing in the NHL, because most of these guys have been the best player on their team their entire lives. They were probably winning everywhere they went because they had themselves on the team since they were little kids in like mites leagues. They've always won. So how do they handle a month like this? How does Philip Kurashev and, uh, you know, even a P.U. Suter who's a little older, all these young guys, all the, the defensemen, how do they handle just getting their asses kicked for weeks at a time here and come through the other end? This is a huge, important month for this team in seeing how this how these guys are, are, are developing as not just players but as professionals. So I think what April, how April turns out after this, is, after this brutal stretch is over is going to tell us a lot about the mental makeup of this team, the uh, the professionalism of this team, uh, and how far they have to go. I really believe that you have to kind of learn to lose, and you have to learn to hate losing. Patrick Kane's talked about that a lot the last several seasons about you know not letting a losing culture seep into the room, to, about you know believing you're going to win even when all signs say you're going to lose. That's something you have to achieve as a professional athlete. And this is the first time a lot of these young guys are dealing with something like this. So it's an important stretch here. They should be thinking about the playoffs. This team was in a position to make the playoffs. They should be thinking about the playoffs. I think there's good development to be had in the playoffs. We saw that last summer with Kirby Doc. So it's, an, it's important to see them not just, you know, crawl into the fetal position and, and just die for the next month and a half. They have to fight back, bounce back from this. And, what, and, and how, to the extent to which they're able to do that is going to tell us a lot about the character of this team. I think there's some value in that. You've been watching the tournament at all? I have, when I can, yeah. What have you thought? Um, I had three Big Ten teams in the Final Four, so I'm not doing very well. <laughs> I'm starting to think the Big uh, Ten... This is the problem with you only play conference games all year. You don't really know how good you are relative to another conference. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, the Loyola game was fun. I, I It was. Um, yeah, that was... Uh, with you being an, an Indiana guy and me a Northwestern guy, at least we could take joy in Illinois' misery, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, trade deadline obviously coming back, coming up. We've been writing a lot about it. Uh, you wrote about today. You wrote about the trade deadline history and ranked the best and worst of the. Uh, well, it was beyond Stan Bowman's era, but it was uh, a lot. It's a of lot of Stan Bowman. Kind of occurred. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff that occurred on our. I, I, I think you remember Antoine Vermette better than I did for with the Blackhawks like I he was a nice piece and I, I went back and looked he had three points in like his last like since in the regular season after they acquired him he had three total points not a single goal and then I felt like he was a nice role player in the in the postseason and in, in the playoffs and he has Scott some, Scott listen yes. to me they gave up what the number 30 pick in the draft for a guy who scored the game-winning goal in two Stanley Cup final games the end. I feel like Johnny Oduya was, was, was the biggest. Johnny Oduya was such a big pickup. Like he, I had I, him third. I, they don't win the 15 cup without. I know. I just I I. But the thing is, they lost in the first round. They they lost in the first round the year they got Oduya. He he didn't have that instant impact. He had a long term impact. It's a different kind of thing. Yeah, I I yeah I I was I would have picked Oduya number one. I. Uh, that's that's my thought, but um, what what was it like going through that and researching that and trying to figure out what? Uh, you know, I, I never paid that much attention to the trade deadline until really we started doing this job, and I was I was mildly surprised to see how little 
how little of a big deal it was back in the day. Like in the nineties, there was a handful of trades every year at the deadline. It wasn't like it is now where there's 30 or 40 transactions in the day leading up to the trade deadline. So a lot of this is, is recently by, I mean, you have like big trades like in 94 when the Hawks got Tony Amante from the Rangers for, uh, for Stefan Matteau, which worked out great for both teams. Matteau scored the, the famous goal, the Matteau, Matteau, Matteau goal uh, in game seven of the, of the Eastern Conference <laughs> final against the Rangers. And Amante became one of the best players in Blackhawks history. So that works out well. But there weren't a lot of trades. You know, there's a lot of minor trades and a draft pick here and there. But, you know, the trade deadline is such a big deal now. It just wasn't that way, you know, 15, 20 years ago. You go back to like the, 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 the 1980s and it's just like a non-existent event. You have to go back, you know, Michel Goulet is about like the biggest one they required in the in, in that era. Dennis Savard getting him back at the end of his career. There weren't a lot of huge impact deals that happened at the deadline like there are now where it's just I think that's has a lot to do with the salary cap and the financial landscape of hockey where you have to get rid of these guys that are on expiring contracts if you're not going to win the Stanley Cup. So I think that the cat world has greatly uh, emphasize the importance of the trade deadline where before it wasn't that big of a deal. It, it's in, Some of the trades are really interesting because some of them were like obvious. Like I think Andrew Ladd at the time was like, Taves really wanted a, you know, a left winger and they needed that spot. And he was uh, the second time they brought Ladd back, you know, like there's the obvious, like you trade for Ladd and you trade for Vermette. And then there was the ones where they took the risk, you know, like Michael Hanzus, I think had been a healthy scratch right before they had acquired yep. him. Kimo Timonen, like he, he, you know, like that was, that a, bad was a trade. massive risk, and they're it was a bad they're, trade. They're lucky that they won the won the cup that year because that uh, even I mean they ended up trading what, what was it two second rounders that that became for Teeman and who was a healthy scratch. He, he was like a glorified mascot for that team. Everybody loves him. Everyone was happy he won the cup, but he played like four minutes a game at the in the final because he was just washed. He had nothing left to give. Like his biggest contribution was making Tavo Teravainen feel more comfortable. Which isn't nothing, but still, like that was a bad trade. Like, the, but but at the same time, you know, it works out, so you don't really mind those two. You know, I think I think they got most of the, those those draft picks back when they traded Andrew Shaw to Montreal to make up for those. But you know, Andrew Ladd appeared on this list twice, and uh, you know, he was yeah. he was a he was a Stanley Cup winner they brought in two thousand eight to help those young guys get over the hump. And yeah, that twenty sixteen trade it didn't work. But that was a good trade. Andrew Ladd came in and filled the role mm-hmm. they wanted. He was he was productive in the regular season down the stretch, uh, and he was productive in that St. Louis series, which they lost by one goal in Game 7. If they win that game, if, if Seabrook's double doink goes in and they win in overtime, that could have been the best trade in team history. He was a good player still. Uh, yeah. He hadn't fallen off the cliff yet. So you know, just because you don't win the cup doesn't mean it's a bad trade. But when you win the cup, it's always a good trade. That, the Hensus one especially, like it was – it helps that Kane's able to play with anyone, but Hansu scored some big goals in that playoffs, and and I, it was it was such a. I remember the trade at the time. It's like I was just trying to figure out how much Mike Hansu's had been playing for. What was it what San Jose? He, who did he, he had been scratched. He, I remember. I distinctly remember he had been scratched six straight games for the Sharks. Wow. Yeah. But what well, the biggest thing about Hansu's? It, it wasn't just that you know Hansu's filled a need where they didn't really have a second line center. It's that it bumped Dave Boland down to the fourth line and gave him that awesome fourth line. And again, it's like what we were talking about earlier where, you know, you bring Doc back and you bring, you know, Reichel into the lineup and all of a sudden the pieces start falling differently and your whole top 12 looks much better as a as a unit because of a guy you insert in one line. And that's what that Hansu's trade did. Not only did it make the second line better, it made the fourth line unbelievably good. Because Boland was just perfect for that shutdown role. And so, like, a, a lot of times, you know, you go through these trade deadlines and it's 
the, the teams that win the cup don't tend to make huge trades. They don't get Mark Stone types. They don't get Roberto Luongo types. They get role players who just fill that one little piece that they need. And I, I think that's what you see. Like the, the, the Lightning did that last year with who? Was it Coleman? I can't even remember. It's all blur. But, you know, you just sometimes you just need one guy, one middle six guy, to set your lineup mm. in a different way that just makes it all fall into place. The interesting about the hands use was that they uh, – I had heard that Stan Bowman actually called Marion Hose and, and talked to him about hands use before they acquired him just to kind of get an idea uh, an idea about him because he had played uh, – hands use and, and Hose had played together uh, with uh, the Slovakia team and stuff. So uh, they got a little bit more knowledge from, uh, from Hosa. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, I, I don't know. It just, it seemed like an interesting piece. Like I, I, there, there's certain parts of Blackhawks history that I'm a little bit blind to and, um, and I've heard, obviously to kind of learn more about him the years forward, but yeah, for you to kind of go back and look at it as a whole, like it was, uh, it was interesting for me to read at least. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on direct TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on direct TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Direct TV has the most MLB games. Visit directtv.com. Claim they on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we got, uh, we, I think we already hit up one of the voicemails, basically, with uh, Dan from Milwaukee with the Nikita Zadorov one, so we could kind of skip ahead of that. Uh, let's go to Jeff from Washington. Hello, Mr. Lazarus and Mr. Powers. This is Jeff out of Washington State. So I just flew down to Tampa last weekend to catch the Tampa blowout. And besides the loss, what really stood out to me, not only the game, but in the past several games prior, is how the Hawks seem to get down on the score chart. And in doing so, they seem to spend more time protecting their net than putting shots on the opposition. I feel like the norm is for the trailing team to be the ones racking up the score chart in the third period. But I haven't seen that be the case with the Hawks. Just want to get your opinion on why when the Hawks are trailing late, the offensive push just hasn't been there. Thanks. Well, first of all, Tampa played really good defense. That's part of it. They're, they're a hard t- when when Tampa gets a lead, they they're kind of like the Hawks used to be, where you just you, you had no chance of getting to the net again. They would just sit on it and kill you. Um, but also, the Hawks just don't have a lot of horses. I think that's what it comes. They don't they don't have the horses that can just every night produce three, four, five goals, especially in in a pinch in the third period in a hurry. I, I just don't think they have that kind of offense without Doc, without Taves. Uh, without, you know, they, they're getting Strom back, which helps, but, they, you know, they went without him for a month. I, I think it just comes down to they don't have the talent. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that's a big part of it. Just it's even when they're playing from, you know, when they're trying to hold on to a lead, like we just, we've seen them slip. Like just, it's difficult for them to put 60 minutes together right now. Like it's part of the evolution process. And um, that that consistency is just, yeah, that's it's part of it, you know, like it just, it's, I think it's you know to be in those situations are positive, but obviously you, at some point the good teams uh, that come through and they're they're still learning how to do that. Um, do you, do you want to listen? I, I'm I'm I I haven't heard Dan's voicemail, so I I'm him not sure. Being, yeah, fire away. Fan. Do you mind if we play it anyways? <laughs> fire away. Hey, Laz and Powers, it's Dan from Milwaukee. Uh, I just wanted to hear you guys' thoughts about the door off. Um, I get the loyalty that Bowman is going to have for him this offseason based on who he traded to get him, but he's 25, going on 26, and I feel like at this point he is who he is. 
he's almost a liability on D, and when he has a puck, it looks like he's trying to solve a Rubik's Cube back there. And <laughs> Sod is UFA this summer, so who knows? They could re-sign Sod, and the trade could be a wash. But the cherry on top for me with all this is I am sick and tired of seeing Kane get bullied and Debrinkit is his bodyguard. That's bullshit. Zadorov is the biggest guy in the ice, and at the very least, if he's not going to protect one of the league's best players, then what are we doing here? I, I just feel like this was a failed experiment, and there's already a login at D to begin with, so what's the point? So I just wanted to hear you guys' thoughts and keep up the great work. Thanks. Rubik's Cube, I like that. He, he does bring up something interesting. That I, I felt like I read a lot after the last game and the last series was about how the Blackhawks aren't tough enough and they're not... Uh, they're not fighting or, or they're not retaliating. And, and, you know, Jeremy Carlton came out and talked about the whole Connor Murph situation. And I thought he made a lot of sense. And I think you and I are both on the same yep. same boat here. So I, I think this frustrates some fans um, that I, I, I don't see. Uh, let me just say that before we move on from that. I loved what Carlton, that may be the best thing he's ever said in a, in a press conference setting where he said, you know what? Connor Murphy's our, one of our best defensemen. And we don't want him going out there fighting guys because he delivered a clean check. This is stupid bullshit hockey mentality where you have to, you know, defend yourself because you delivered a clean hit. You know, good for Jeremy Collins. I'm glad to see people who aren't 60 years old in this league and still have that 1980s mindset. You know, Jeremy Colleton lost his career because of concussions. He doesn't want to see his good players out there, you know, punching each other in the head for no reason. So, I mean, we could talk about defending your teammates, and sometimes it's appropriate. But, like, I just want to applaud Jeremy Colleton for what he said. I, like, I, I don't think I've ever heard a coach articulate a modern, smart sensibility as clearly as he did with that answer about uh, the, the Murphy and the Lightning. I, you know, f- fuck the Lightning, honestly. You know, you don't have to make that guy fight because he delivered a clean check. That's stupid, that's archaic, and it's not hockey. Anyway, sorry. And ultimately, the Blackhawks benefited from that because they did get, uh, I, I think, at least one power play yeah. from not you know, taking the bait, like, that's, yeah, I, I mean, part of it's, it's on the NHL, because this is what the NHL allows, and they, and you allow, you're allowed to fight, and you only get this five-minute penalty, and, and a lot of these things are, and, and, and part of it's, and I know fans were upset with Tampa Bay taking liberties last game, and, and, and again, I feel like it's on the officiating more than anything, like, it's, how is the answer to Tampa Bay getting away with something that the Blackhawks probably not getting away with it and taking a penalty, you know, like, it just, um, and then there's just, the, the actual physical and violent component of it too, that you are, I mean, you, you've seen what happened to Shaw. I mean, you saw, I mean, Strom has been out of the lineup and all the guys, you know, guys like, um, Kajula, I mean, the last few years, you just, you see what these type of things happen to a player over and over again and the impact. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't want any more of that, you know, like, I just, I don't know how, I, I don't know how, while fans, I, I get them desiring what, you know, like, I, like it's certain there's a certain f- part of fandom that wants violence and wants, um, you know, the physicality and all that. And I think there's ways of being physical. And part of it is a guy like Connor Murphy who can who can hit someone cleanly and um, and really, I mean, it can be a violent physical game without the illegal stuff. And um, yeah, I don't, I, I, I just, and I see that it's just, it's none of it makes any sense to me. Like I just, I, we've seen too many players now that we've covered just, uh, you know, affected by this and have to leave the game and, um, and the guy's still affected by it. You know, I just, it's, yeah, I don't know. I just, it, it, it disgusts me because I, I think it's such a 
bad part of hockey and it it's physical enough the nfl any nfl is physical enough without people allowing to fight and right. the illegal stuff and and just because one team gets away with it doesn't make it you know any better or, or reason for another team to uh yeah to, to, they have to react to it so yeah i i just i I, I saw more of it after this series, and and certainly, yeah. If you want to say like maybe the Blackhawks need to more physical, they need to win pucks, and um, you know That's maybe the defenseman could yeah. be harder on the puck, and yeah, like there's there's just I think there's two different parts of that story. Uh, the rest of Dan's voicemail, I feel like we uh, addressed already about Zadorov. It's going to be interesting to see just how loyal to use Dan's term he is to Zadorov, or if well he's willing to cut bait or not. Uh, one more, we got an email from Stuart Griffiths. Uh, here's a scenario for you. It's the last game of the season, May 10th versus Dallas. The Blackhawks need a win to finish fourth and gain a playoff spot. Do you think Doc and or Taves are in the lineup? And do the Blackhawks go all out for the win, knowing it cost them a higher draft position and more than likely a 4-0 loss to Tampa in the first round of the playoffs? Um, okay, a couple things. I do expect Doc to be there. I'm at the point where I don't expect to see Jonathan Taves this year. I have nothing, no, let me, yeah. before the rumor mills go crazy, I have nothing to base that on. But... If he's not even on the ice yet and we're in late March, it's hard to imagine he's going to be back this season. I think the hope is that he'll be back for next season. Uh, but that's just pure speculation. Don't read more into that than there is. Uh, the draft pick. Oh, well, it's, it's, I mean, it's yeah. also just. But <laughs> it's quarantining too, right? Like I was going to say, it's just it's it's Taves having the quarantine and like there's just, the time's running out for him right. to come back. Um, as for the draft pick, couldn't care oh. less. I mean, you're talking the difference between a. You know, if they make if they're if they're in a game for a playoff spot in the last game of the season, you're talking about the difference between like the 13th pick in the draft or the 16th pick in there. Couldn't care less. Uh, but and I think that's where the Blackhawks are at with it. They're going to get a middle to early first round pick, and that's going to be sufficient. They're going to be picking somewhere between like 12th and 18th, and I think that's fine. That's fine. I would rather have the season they're having and the progress they're having than a than move up six spots in the draft. So I don't really. I, they're they're going to be trying to win. And I think if they play the Lightning, they might win a game or two. They might they, they, can, they can go five or six games. That, there's there's value in that. Yeah, no. I, if they're in that spot, I mean, you're you're yeah. There's there's so much. There's not much of a difference in draft picks. And I think the value again. I mean, as we said before, just the value in playing those games are outweigh whatever slight difference in the draft pick. So, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, if anything, I I mean, if Blackhawks are in that situation, and and there's a possibility the Blackhawks still had fans unite, and I think you know, I mean. It's still late, late March, and we're we're going into May. If, if Blackhawks get to play meaningful games and potentially with some fans, and um, and even playoff games with potentially with some fans, I, I don't. I, I think there's a lot of excitement to that. Even you know, obviously there's the development aspect, but just for everyone's mental health, and if you, for the fans and the players, and if you're allowed to get some fans, or regardless of their fans, even having to, some important games to be played, I, I think it'll do everyone good. So. I uh yeah I, either way I I think the Blackhawks are are accepting that and obviously trying to play for the uh, play for the win. Um, well we we got with Florida. Uh, Joel Quinville's in town. Um, this is the first time in Chicago this year. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, we still got still got a four more against yeah. Florida. Bad news, guys. <laughs> <laughs> they, they only have one more game against Tampa Bay, so that's probably the the upside for the Blackhawks. Um, so yeah, we got, uh, plenty of coverage, uh, trade deadline is approaching. So we should get some answers here in the coming weeks if the Blackhawks will do anything, especially with those Canadian teams. If, uh, if a trade happens there, I, I would imagine that happens sooner or later based on the quarantine rules and, um, should be an interesting few weeks and doc coming back. So, um, I know we, uh, we're planning some other stories around the athletics. So just, uh, yeah, 
we'll uh, we'll have you informed and hopefully entertained and uh we'll uh we'll have you uh, we'll have a next podcast again next week and if you want to uh if you want to leave us a voicemail or an email you can email us at lazempowers at gmail.com and the phone number is 714-759-4529 um you got anything else mr lazarus mr vaccine I got the promo, man. We got to, got to, we got to do the cross promo. We can't forget that. Oh, March, March Madness is here, and the Athletics College Basketball Crew brings you the Ding You, presented by BetMGM. We'll cover all the action, both on the court and at the sports book, grabbing insight from the Athletics College basketball writers and picking the brain of BetMGM's top bookmakers. The next show is Thursday at noon Central Time on the Daily Ding feed, streaming on the Athletics YouTube channel. Make sure you check it out. I was looking at. I think Seth Davis's record was like thirteen and twenty-two. It's been a. It's been a tough college. <laughs> I think it's probably it's tough for everyone's bracket. That's that's, that's, Seth Davis that's is taking a bit of a hit. You know, nobody wants to see their brackets blown up, but this is what we want out of the NCAA tournament, isn't it? You want chaos. <laughs> God bless the chaos. Yes. Yes. Plenty of chaos. Uh, from Mark Lazarus, I am Scott Powers, and this is Laz and Powers, and we'll talk to you soon. And I know that I can't fix it. I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try